Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and superfans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week, we are discussing The Heart Brings You Back, the 11th episode of season two, which was written by Mark B. Perry, directed by Matt Shackman, and originally aired on the WB on January 25th, 2005. And Caitlin, it has been three weeks. How are you? I'm doing well. (laughs) That is great to hear. I know we literally just recorded an episode like right before we did this intro, but you know, we just got to keep up the illusion. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) We talk and produce this podcast a lot more frequently than it actually, I feel like, airs. (laughs) So... For sure. But yeah, it's been three weeks for people on the regular pod feed. But if you subscribe to us over on Patreon, you are getting access to this episode early, which is very excited. And if you are not subscribed to our Patreon, visit patreon.com slash alwaysothpod for more information. So this episode, we get introduced to Haley's sister? Yeah. I really want to talk to you about that. (laughs) I am excited, yes. And fucking Jake is back. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm excited to see these storylines. Honestly, I get excited for each and every episode now at this point. Not that I wasn't excited before, but you know, I feel like we're really getting into like the meat of One Tree Hill where I'm just like getting excited for each episode. I know. This is really the good stuff. Like compared to season one, like this, this is the good stuff. Yeah. And I know I've said this a lot in like several spoiler segments and whatnot, but I actually have not binged past this episode. And let me tell you, uh, this week, because I have a four-day weekend coming up after this, I plan to binge the rest of the season, and I am so excited. <laughs> I know oh, I wow. know what happens, but I am excited to, like, Relive rewatch it. it. Yeah. I know. It's but, the best rewatching. So, this is going to be great. As a reminder, this podcast is spoiler-free, but stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion. Somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better and everything's safe. Picking up right where we left off in the last episode, Haley and Chris kiss at the train station, but ultimately Haley decides not to go on tour with him. Taylor, Haley's older sister, shows up unexpectedly, and Haley isn't happy about it. We also find out that Nathan's first time having sex was with Taylor a few years prior. Taylor and Nathan decide to keep it a secret from Haley. Oh boy. Deb tries to make amends with Karen multiple times, and finally Karen admits that Deb's lie was the biggest problem of all, not that she slept with Keith. She asks Deb, as her business partner, business, Jeremy, business. Shut up, Caitlin. Nope, nope, (laughs) nope. I do not accept this. I do not accept this, like, really pointed line in the script, no. She asks Deb, as her business partner and friend, not to lie ever again. Jake and Peyton reconnect, and Jake reveals to Peyton that he chose not to contact her because he didn't want Nikki to track him down. Before Jake is about to leave Tree Hill, he admits to Peyton that he doesn't want to run away anymore. He asks Peyton to go on a road trip with him to get Jenny and bring her home. Jules gets a call from Dan, and Lucas happens to see the caller ID. He wonders why she would be getting a call from Dan and later confronts her about it. Initially, Jules lies about the reason, but later she confesses she was broke after escaping an abusive relationship, so she put out an ad that she would do anything legal for money. Dan hired Jules to make Keith fall in love with her. Shockingly, Jules tells Lucas that she actually did fall in love with Keith, though. Anna goes to Peyton because she needs someone to talk to. Peyton comforts Anna after hearing about the breakup. 
and Anna misreads the situation and kisses Peyton. Peyton tells Anna that it's totally cool and that she shouldn't be afraid to be who she is. But Anna says she doesn't think they can be friends anymore. Anna apologized to Lucas for how she reacted after the breakup. She tells Lucas that the rumors at her last school are actually true. She likes girls and guys too. In other news, Karen and Andy have a bit of drama. Karen calls Andy when he's in New York and a mysterious woman answers the phone. Karen assumes the worst, but Andy later reveals that the woman is someone he visits each year in order to make amends after a terrible car crash years ago. And Brooke sets boundaries in her relationship with Felix. Brooke tells him that she doesn't want lavish gifts because she doesn't want to have a relationship like her mom and dad. Pulling out my debit card, I'm Caitlin Elnich. <laughs> Did you catch that? There are so many references to debit cards in this episode. You are absolutely right. I am so glad you mentioned that as well. <laughs> but clearly that must have been a sponsor or, or whatever. How is it a sponsor though? Debit cards are very generic. <laughs> but they held, held up the card each time. And you could oh, clearly Yes. And it was the same exact card. Oh, who was it? Did you did you catch that? I think it was Visa. Oh, jeez. Wow. It, it's just too weird that they would hold up the card, you know, each time. Yeah. And it was the same exact one. So they must be. Oh, I did not catch that. I thought they were just saying like, okay, debit, were debit cards like a new invention at the time? Oh, God. It had to have been a sponsor <laughs> then. That's funny. Wow. <laughs> and uh, speaking of debit cards, we'll do anything legal but ethical. For money, I am Jeremy Rodriguez. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. I want to make it very clear. I will only do something ethical for money. As long, <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway, this episode is titled after the song Hook by Blues Traveler, which, you know, is, is very, very interesting because the lyric of the song is the hook brings you back which is commonly misheard as The Heart Brings You Back. Which, which is the title is of the episode. The episode title. <laughs> so I found that very interesting when I was doing like my little research for this song, because I'm like, wait. Because if you type in The Heart Brings You Back song, it brings up the results for Hook by Blues Traveler. I'm like, that's not the song. And I was reading the lyrics, so like it says The Hook Brings You Back. That's not the song. And then I did some digging, and turns out that's the situation. It's just a misheard lyric. That's really interesting. I'm glad you found that tidbit. So this episode kind of strays from the actual title being the song, an actual song. Uh-huh. So that's an interesting choice. For real. <laughs> but what did you think of this song? What was your connection to it? Well, overall, I thought it was a good kind of upbeat song, but the lyrics, I didn't think had any connection to the episode at all. But I think the title of the song definitely has a connection. The Heart Brings You Back, I think, really relates... The title. The, quote, the, unquote. the title, I know, yeah. <laughs> I think um, it definitely relates to Haley coming back to Nathan. That was the first mm. thing that, like, jumped out at me. I was like, wow, The Heart Brings Her Back. Like, she's coming back to Nathan. She made the choice not to go with Chris. And then Jake hmm. also comes back to Peyton because Lucas was reached out to Jake saying that Peyton has been upset and Jake comes to like check in with her. And obviously there's there's some chemistry going on here. They're, they're friends like they haven't crossed that line yet, but I don't know. There's some chemistry forming there. So I feel like he's 
has some feelings for her and that's like kind of what drew him back. What about you? Um, yeah, in addition to those people, I feel like this could also apply to Karen and Andy because of their whole stupid argument, which is one of my least favorite things in ATV shows, arguments that can be solved if people just fucking talk to each other. I thought that we'll get to that storyline, but that was <laughs> yeah. that was the stupidest storyline. Like, why really, did they even include it? It really was. And then, of course, uh, we can talk about Zeb uh, and her girlfriend, Karen, about how they <laughs> got brought back to each other. Yeah. So, yeah, the heart brought all these people back to each other. Yeah, that's cool. I think, yeah, those probably relate the most out of everything. I don't think we can say anything about Brooke and Felix, really. <laughs> I'm shaking my head, listeners. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just, just so you know that. Yeah, but anyway, the episode starts off with the Lucas voiceover, which is always exciting. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, before we get into that uh, that voiceover, though, did you notice how, like, Lucas, like, when he walks away from Brooke's store, and then he stops, and then the camera changes angles, and then he walks, <laughs> and then he walks some more? I, just, I didn't catch that, no. It's just, I, I don't know, I think it's, like, really bad camera work. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, it is pouring rain, why did you just stop right there? Because obviously, I feel like, you know, it, it had something to do with, like, the, the way the, vo- the timing of the voiceover and where Chad McAmari was, like, instructed to walk. So he probably had to, like, you know, walk so far and then he had to stop. And then like, he had to keep linger. Going. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That's funny. I did not catch that at all. <laughs> yeah. It was just interesting direction. But anyway, so what was the opening uh, voiceover quote? The voiceover quote is as follows. It's a Tennessee Williams quote from a play called Camino Real, and I'm not sure if the pronunciation could be real. I'm not sure. But here's the quote. When so many are lonely, as seem to be lonely, it would be inexcusably selfish to be lonely alone. Lots of lonely. (laughs) Lots of, lots of loneliness. And it's killing them. And they must confess they still believe. I was going to try to keep going with the Britney Spears reference, and it just... (laughs) I just couldn't lift it up. But anyway, this quote... (laughs) I'm really sorry. Anywho, yes. So I think that idea of loneliness really kind of resonates here, because a lot of the characters, I think, feel lonely. Like, you can say that about... Peyton, obviously. I think even Jake, like, he's kind of separated from everyone else off on his own. There's Anna is feeling this loneliness. I'm also getting lonely vibes from Brooke. Like, I I don't know. She seems a little off. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think that concept definitely relates. And I I think that's interesting that they started off the episode with this quote. You had something interesting to say before we started recording. So share your analysis. Yeah. So you talked about all these characters about how like they're all going through little bouts of loneliness. But by the end of the episode, it seems like it seems like they decide to like find each other. These characters like Lucas and Anna both experience their own little uh, bits of loneliness. But at the end, they join off together, and same thing with uh, Jake and Peyton. You know, they're both having their little uh, bits of loneliness as well, but they come together in the end as well. So, they're not, you know, they're all lonely, but they're not lonely alone. Yes. Which could, like, (laughs) literally connect to the quote. (laughs) 
Oh, and also Nathan, too. Like, he's lonely, too, because he feels, like, abandoned by Haley, and they're still, like, working through everything. So, like, I feel like yeah. it, we could keep going on and on, but, yeah, these characters are all kind of reconnecting and coming together again. Yeah. I have a few issues with Nathan about how he deals with some of the <laughs> some of the situations in here, so that's a great time to roll over to the introduction of Taylor, Haley's sister... I know. But this is interesting because so far we we've only met Haley's parents and she's supposed to be part of a big family. Yet we mm-hmm. haven't met any of her siblings. Yep. So we see Taylor coming to Nathan's door and you know she's like she's standing there and then Nathan's like, "Uh, who are you?" And she's like, "Oh, it's um I'm Haley's sister." And then Nathan's like, "Vivian?" I have some thoughts about the name Vivian later, which we will get to. In a spoiler segment. Okay. And then Quinn. Which I also have some thoughts on the spoiler segment. (laughs) (laughs) And then Taylor is like, now I'm Taylor. So that's a heavy implication there that Haley does not talk about Taylor. Yeah. Because Nathan doesn't seem to really know who she is or anything like that. Yeah, that definitely hints towards the relationship because then as we see as the episode progresses, like, Haley's not happy to see Taylor at all. And then exactly. at the end, she asks her to leave. So it's there's a lot of tension there. And she calls mm-hmm. her Hurricane Taylor also. Did you catch that? Yeah. Yes, I did. Um, which, you know, I have some thoughts about this. Okay, so for one thing, they're really positioning Taylor to be a villain. Because for one thing, she has the, the scorpion tattoo, like above her ass. Mm-hmm. Which I just realized, just like her sister has a tattoo above her ass. Like, look at them. They're like, not so different true but uh it's a but it's a tattoo of a scorpion and i decided to google what does the scorpion symbolize scorpion symbolizes uh mainly evil death destruction and unpleasantness in some cultures the scorpion symbol is used to represent lust and sex well based on what we know about taylor so far that is what they're framing her to be all about the lust and sex part yes right Uh uh-huh she stirs the pot, basically. Yeah. What do you think about the whole evil aspect, though? Because I feel like at this current point in the story, I don't really see her as evil. I think she stirs the pot. She's coming in and she's shaking things up and she's flirty with Nathan. Does that make her a bad person, though? Like, I mean, she's just flirtatious. And obviously Nathan's sexually attracted to her. You know, it's like, okay, he's sexually attracted to her as long as he doesn't, like, you know, cross that line. I feel like it's kind of reaching to position her as a villain. I feel like she's being villainized because of her sexuality. Well, also because we find out that um, Taylor was the first person that Nathan had sex with. Does that make her a villain, though? That doesn't make her a villain, no. But the way they're framing it, it's like, oh, snap. He had sex with yeah. Haley's sister. But really, it was before he even knew Haley. So, like, it shouldn't even yeah. mean anything. But they're setting it up that way, though. Uh, like, so Nathan had a life before. That's making know? her seem evil. So, I don't know. I just feel like they're trying to say something about a woman and her sexuality, and they're trying to villainize her because of that. Yeah, I think you have a point. They, they are. Yeah. And also, too, like, I want to talk about, like, Lucas's uh, reaction to finding out that Taylor was in town. Lucas is like, dude, she's crazy. Which... You know, kind of problematic, and I feel like that's like th- that's a word that gets tossed around very flippantly. The word "crazy," and I know a lot of mental health advocates are even trying like to get people to stop saying it in general. Like even me, like I've been trying to replace it with the word "wild," 
Like, instead of saying, like, oh, that's crazy, you say, oh, that's wild. But anyway, the whole idea of the word crazy is, like, sort of, uh, for one, that it's a sexist term to refer to women in that way. Because, again, it's talking about, in this case, it's talking about Taylor and her sexuality. And is that what makes her, quote unquote, crazy? Yeah, in the context of what Lucas said, I don't know if we can determine that, but... Because we don't know what his definition of crazy is. Like, he didn't elaborate or give, like, an example of what she did in the past. So... Yeah, exactly. You know, in this episode, they're not really delving into that or anything like that. But yeah. I mean, as far as, you know, I, I feel like, the, you know, the word crazy for, like, use it as an adjective for, like, other things. I feel like there's a nuanced take on that, but don't call people crazy very flippantly. It's not a good look at all. Yeah, the word is definitely overused. Mm-hmm. I did not like that. I did think it was really funny how Lucas thought it was hilarious, though, when he found out that Nathan and Taylor previously slept together. His reaction was so funny. I mean, it is kind of like an unfortunate thing, like, that really happened. Oh, boy. But whatever. Like, Chad Michael Murray's, like, laugh right there. It just, just seems so genuine. Nathan's like, it's not funny. And then Lucas is like, no, it's hilarious. It's so cute and them as brothers. Like, that's, like, cute brother banter. Oh, it was so hilarious. Um, but we also got a little bit of background on Taylor. We found out that she screwed up at school. She got caught cheating on an exam. And then she and her professor got caught cheating on his wife. Which, once again, that adds to what you were saying. Yeah. About her sexuality, like, that in itself is causing her to be seen as evil. Mm-hmm. And granted, like, I feel like some circles would say, like, oh, she is bad because she's, like, with a married man. I'm like, it's the married man who should be paying for this situation, not her. It's her professor, too. Her professor is the one who is crossing the line here. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with that. <laughs> you know, she is not the bad person here at all. Yeah, so now now they're keeping... Well, Nathan's keeping that secret for Taylor, and then Taylor is keeping the secret about them having sex from Haley. So there's... It's interesting how how Nathan and Taylor were paired together more in this episode than Taylor and Haley. Don't you find that interesting? It's interesting, yeah. Because, like, we get that Haley is feeling uncomfortable around Taylor, but we're not really getting the reasons why at this current moment. You are absolutely right. There's no, like, they're not giving us any background or, or history with their relationship. Besides the fact that, like, oh, Taylor was always running from home for whatever reason we... There's something there. I just feel like we don't know enough yet. And honestly, I haven't watched past this episode, so I don't even remember what happened. <laughs> 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 or haven't rewatched past this episode, I should say. But I overall, I thought that was a fun, unexpected storyline. You know? With all the drama that happened in the last episode, you wouldn't think, like, a new character would be thrown in now. Yeah. But I'm finding her to be pretty interested now. Although, um, I gotta say, though, at the end of the episode, when Haley tries to kick Taylor out, and then uh, Nathan basically tells uh, tells Haley, like, no, she's family. I don't know if I really like that. And, you know, Nathan's whole reaction to, like, his issues with Haley, he's, like, you know, putting these, like, little passive-aggressive jabs at her and whatnot. Meanwhile, while Haley is, seems to be putting the work in, and... I get maybe Nathan didn't want Taylor to just be out on the street or something like that. Like, I get that. I have space for that. But it just seems kind of wrong. Like, it doesn't seem like Nathan is prioritizing his marriage right now. Well, you know what he's doing? 
He's pressured by all these secrets. But did Taylor pressure him, though? He wants Taylor to keep the secret. So then he's keeping her secret, and she has nowhere to go. So they kick her out. I mean, I guess they then would find out that, like, she has nowhere to go. And then the reasons why she has nowhere to go, because of all that happened when she was in school. I think that's Mm. what he's doing to protect Taylor, which protects all these secrets. I get that. For the record, like, I don't get a vibe that Taylor would, like, blackmail him and say, like, oh, if you kick me out, I'll tell Haley that we slept together two years ago. I feel like I get that other side, where it's, like, protected the secret that she got kicked out of school. Yeah, I think that's what it is. But I agree that Nathan really isn't giving... Like, Haley came back. Even though we didn't talk about this, she kissed Chris again? Again, yeah. Which I didn't realize this happened uh, another time. I kind of always forget about this. When I see it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, they do kiss again. But it's wild to me that they would kiss after all that. Yeah. It's really confusing. But anyway, Haley came back, but Nathan is, like, still upset with her, and there's just so much tension, and oh, my gosh, you're throwing Taylor in the mix with all that. Yeah. But at at the very end, we get that sweet scene in the kitchen, but it is after he saw Taylor in the mirror, (laughs) and then he goes, helps Haley with dinner maybe that's like a way of saying like you know what like i'm not gonna get distracted by this quote-unquote temptress i'm gonna care for my wife yeah which i guess that's good and admirable but also i feel like a lot of like taylor's sexualization i feel like is, is all on nathan's head i mean like do you remember the part when like you know she's sitting on the robe and she's like uh, rubbing lotion on her legs and then he grabs a beer and then he all of a sudden like opens the beer bottle that drops it and then he explodes because obviously, you know, that's a penis metaphor right there. Um, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't pick up on that? Oh, jeez. Yeah. All right. I'm going <laughs> to. I didn't pick up on that. It's right after Taylor says. Uh, I have the quote. You know, it's. Oh, go ahead. Please, please point it out. I still can't believe little sis snags such a hottie. I mean, I usually get them first. <laughs> And then that's when the beer bottle, he drops it, then it explodes. Because ejaculation! Yeah! (laughs) Wow. I was just thinking he was dropping the beer bottle. I didn't think of it, like, in a sexual way, but... Oh, it was totally meant to be sexual. (laughs) Even if it wasn't intended, that's what it is right now, you know? That scene was so funny, it made me chuckle. (laughs) That's why I wrote it down. Oh my god. That's before they both acknowledged that they remembered having sex with each other. Yeah. So Nathan had already remembered it. Taylor knew it, but like they didn't actually say anything to each other. And she says that to him. And he's like, oh god. <laughs> it's so cringeworthy. I love it. Oh, uh, it was so good. But, but do you get what I mean though by saying like this is all like in Nathan's head? Like the sexualization of Taylor about like her being this temptress and whatnot. This is all in Nathan's head. We're seeing all these stories from Nathan's point of view. So I'm just not seeing Taylor as the bad guy here. Yeah, I guess you could say that. But I think Taylor is... I don't know. She's very flirty. Yeah, she there's there's an edge to her there. Like, she, she knows what she's doing a little bit. She's very different from her sister in the way she interacts with people. And yeah, she's very flirty, but she hasn't crossed the line. You know, unless she counts the time when she, oh, she had sex with Nathan two years ago. But again, that's not crossing the line either. No. <laughs> you know? But back to the whole, like, you know, nailing drama of it all. So Jake saw Haley kiss Chris at the bus station before he arrived. 
Yeah, that was convenient timing. Yeah, like, holy shit, and then he tells Peyton, and then the storyline kind of, like, lingers there. We, nothing really comes of that, because by the time Peyton could address the situation, she leaves town with Jake. But anyway, let's talk about Peyton and Jake. You can't wait. <laughs> Jeremy has a huge grin on his face. (laughs) I like these storylines a lot, though. It was cute to see them reconnect after all this time. Like, I feel like these scenes, they may, you could increasingly see Peyton feel better. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, Jake came back. He stayed over, totally platonic. And... She or he tells her that, like, the reason he didn't contact her, respond to all those emails was because of Nikki. So it had nothing to do with Peyton. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big relief for her. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and at first, though, like, I I had some thoughts because I was wondering how come all of Peyton's problems are solved now that Jake's here? You know, because you know, she was going through, like, a big depression, and then all of a sudden Jake shows up. Oh, problem's gone. Great. I originally had those thoughts, but then I realized Jake actually uh, made Peyton realize that she had inner strength, because I will uh, read this quote. Jake uh, pulls out an email that he got from Peyton, one of the first emails that he got from Peyton, and he says, it's like, I'd be working one of those jobs or feel like I was going to be on the run forever, and I would... I'd read those words, and it's like the sudden calm would wash over me. You're so strong, Peyton. You don't even know it. I mean, you got me through some pretty dark days. And I've been thinking that if I can get all that from some words on a piece of paper, just imagine what it would be like to have the real thing every day. I'm just, I'm tired of running, Peyton. Come with me. Let's bring Jenny back home. That is my favorite quote. (laughs) the episode that is really sweet i love that but but you know what i mean like he um he made peyton realize that she had strength within herself and i do like that about this whole storyline i didn't think of it that way but that's true he gave her a little like some confidence a little push yeah i I really like that angle yeah so her problems didn't get solved because jake showed up They got soft because Jake helped her realize she was strong on her own. Yeah, did you have reservations about that at all? You know, I I didn't think about it like that, but I completely agree with you. I mean, you could see it both ways, but the quote that you just read definitely makes me think that, like, he reminded her of her inner strength, like you said. And I also feel like they, they address a lot of things in this episode, like why he didn't respond to her. I think that made her feel better. And then also they talked about the drugs and Peyton explained that it was one time and like, I don't know, how how did Jake respond to the drugs? He basically was like telling her like she shouldn't be doing that, right? But it was in a gentle way. It wasn't like shaming her. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was uh, this was the previous night about it. He said that like Peyton, you shouldn't be using that as a crutch. Yeah. And then, you know, then the following morning he shows Peyton the email that she sent him, and then that was that was his. I guess yeah. you could say crutch. That was that was his drug. I guess you could say. So I think he was just showing like it was like you know he was using a positive thing as a crutch, mm-hmm. where whereas she was using kind of like a negative thing. Yeah, if that makes sense. So the scene, that scene sort of happens in two parts. I would say. Yeah, that's right. Those those are connected, for sure. And there's some growing uh, chemistry going on here mm-hmm. oh and i love when they finally leave town together to get jenny jake is like top up or top down and then peyton says 
down. I don't think it's going to rain today. Aww. Because get it, it's obviously talking about the fact that it rained in the beginning beginning of the episode, but it's not going to rain because she's not going to have tears because she's happy now. Aww. She has her road mix and her debit card and they're going to stop and get snacks. (laughs) Get some beef jerky. (laughs) Is that true? Do you always have, uh, do you always have beef jerky on road trips? Not me. That's Never something I crave on a road trip, honestly. (laughs) That's not something I crave ever, so. (laughs) Let alone a road trip. Yeah, yeah, not even on a regular day, honestly. (laughs) Well, obviously, Caitlin, uh, when we finally get to go to Wilmington together, we got to bring some beef jerky and our debit cards. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) (laughs) And our OTH playlists. Woo! Hell yeah. Driving in our comment, neither of us has a comment, but you know, and I don't think either of us is going to invest in one, but whatever. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, are you ready to talk about Jules? Yeah. Woo, this storyline goes in a direction like this really, they sped up the storyline, that's for sure. Like, we just found yeah. out that Jules was hired by Dan in the last episode, and now we have Lucas already finding out. And I gotta say, like, Jules is, like, a really convincing liar when Lucas confronts her. He said, like, oh, yeah, she was, uh, um, Dan called me because he wanted to check my credit references. I bought a car from him. Like, she is so convincing at that moment, and it's almost, like, kind of scary. Yeah, she is really convincing. You know, and I do buy it at the end of the episode, but she does say that she fell in love with Keith. It does. It seems like Lucas has some reservations, as we see when he sees uh, Jules and Keith in the apartment together. It looked like he was about to tell Keith, besides not to. I know, that was an awkward moment for sure. Because Jules, you could see her in the background and she's like, oh, great, don't yeah. tell my secret. <laughs> but at the same time, like, you got to understand, Lucas is trying to protect his uncle, who's basically like his father. And right. he's in, like, a really difficult position. Yeah. She's obviously feeling very trapped right now because, you know, even in, in one scene, she said that he started paying my medical bills. So obviously he's paying them in installments. So I'm pretty sure, like, Dan could probably afford to pay $150,000 just like that. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, we know that Dan's rich, but I don't know to the extent of his wealth, to be honest. But he could pay that very quickly. So I almost wonder if he's just, like, paying off, like, a little bit here and there. Yep. And then he's like, okay, once you break Keith's heart... Final payment. Yeah, so things are really getting complicated now because if Jules is admitting that she has feelings, where is this storyline going to lead? You know? Yeah. Although, honestly, I feel like if I was in Jules' position, and I know that the storyline would never go here because they want, to, they want it to be a soap opera, they want the drama and everything like that, but what if Jules just told Keith privately and say, hey, by the way, your brother is an asshole, he is paying me off right now to break your heart. I need this money, though, for my medical bills, so can we, like, act like, you know, we're doing this whole act where I'm breaking your heart and everything? (laughs) Yeah, that would never happen. (laughs) I feel like it would just, like, it would solve so many problems if Jules was just, like, honest. Granted, like, okay, yeah, it may feel like betrayal because of, like, how the relationship started and everything like that. But I feel like as long as Jules is honest and says that she does have feelings for Keith and she did grow to love him, like, what could go wrong there? I know. I feel like they would have some major trust issues, though. Like, how would Keith be able to trust her? And yeah. that she wasn't just continuing to play him. Oh, it's really complicated. But, uh, this For is real. really, really complicated. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen. 
But speaking of trust issues, and speaking of uh, people, like, just needed to fucking talk to each other, let's talk about Karen and Andy. I'm serious. This storyline was so unnecessary. <laughs> like, so unnecessary. Why was this in here? They should have included another scene with other characters. Like, give us more <laughs> Jayton or, or, or Anna and that whole storyline. Like, give us more of that. Why do we need this? Why? <laughs> My first bullet point is, God, Karen, just let Andy talk. <laughs> okay, so my question is, why did she jump to that conclusion immediately without talking to Andy? And my second question is, we find out later that, that Andy was meeting with a woman that he crashed into her car, or no, he crashed into her when she was, I guess, on the road? Is that what you're supposed to assume? And so she yeah. has, you know, disabilities now, and he's making amends twice a year he sees her. So my question with that is, why in the world is he meeting with this woman and he's in the shower? <laughs> that's a little I that's mean, a little weird. I know that's a really specific thing to point out, but I think that's so strange. <laughs> I mean, they obviously developed a friendship over the years. Yeah, I guess. So <laughs> it's just it's just to make it a soap opera. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't think it's weird that he was in the shower at her place. He was just visiting her. I guess if he was staying with her. I was going to say, Kayla, would your boyfriend get, like, weirded out if, like, I was, like, in your shower at your place just <laughs> randomly? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, obviously Jeremy needs to get, sh- get I mean, a shower for some reason. if you're staying with us, then no, it wouldn't be weird. So I guess that, yeah, so I I guess get- that answers the question. If he was staying with her, fine. But, like, I just assumed he had, like, a place in New York, and I don't know. I don't know what I assumed, but I just thought that was... Obviously, you would think he... You'd think he would have a place in New York, though, if he's that rich. That's what I mean. It was it's just like a little, little strange thing yeah. to point out. But. Unless she was visiting him. Yeah. So then why would he be in the shower? <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> <laughs> maybe she was staying the night. Maybe this one of them were like having like a slumber party, like, you know, watching some movies with their, with her kid and whatnot. Yeah. So I guess they're really close then. Like, I guess yeah. they're, I don't know. It's such a weird storyline, though. Because <laughs> men yeah. and women can be friends, believe it or not. I know. So a, a shower aside, <laughs> this is still a really <laughs> weird storyline because it's just so random. Mm-hmm. Like, years ago, he hit someone and that person was her and now he's making amends and that's all to like... This whole storyline revolved around, I guess, the trust that Karen has in Andy. That's what it's trying to bring out. But this was a weird way of doing it. Yeah, which I could say, like, maybe, like, you know, it shows that Karen is having some trust issues because of her situation with Zeb, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, so maybe it's, like, easy for her to just jump the conclusions with Andy. And I get that, but I'm so annoyed with it because I'm like, Karen, you gotta let people talk. You just gotta let them talk. <laughs> this is probably the one time I'm, like, the most annoyed with Karen in this series. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And also, what is Andy's deal with this whole situation? So he visits her and her son to remind him that enough is enough. When he was in the car and he hit her, he was like racing to a meeting or... For money that he didn't need. I get that. But like, how did like, I don't know, how did uh, hitting a woman like get him... Well, okay, I guess if he was right... Okay, if he was racing to the meeting, then okay, I get that. There needs to be an ending point, I guess, with making money. Like, don't be selfish. Don't be greedy. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos needs to take some advice from Andy Hargrove. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> Any person who's like fil- filthy rich does. Yeah. It seems like Andy has a little bit of integrity. I get that. But uh, let's roll right into Karen and, Karen and her girlfriends. Deborah. Um, okay, so, you know, it, it kicks off with, you know, Karen asking Deb to leave. They have, like, a few confrontations throughout the episode. And then after Karen finds out the truth about Andy, she then decides to trust Deb, and she just says, don't lie to me again. And this is where, like, I'm just, like, really, really confused about, like, what we're supposed to take away from this storyline. What did this situation with Andy teach Karen about her situation with Deb? Like, I understand why she had trust issues, and that's why she started, like, you know, lashing out at Andy. I get that. But then her eventually realized that about Andy. Why did that make her decide to have trust in Deb? Maybe giving someone a second chance or learning to trust someone that you really care about, like your your people, you know? I guess. Loosely, I guess that would explain it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think there was anything, like, directly that she learned from Andy. I think it just made her maybe a little bit more open to trusting Deb again. But she set a clear boundary there of, you know, like, you can't lie to me again. We're business partners. We're friends. Like, that's not what you do. We can't have that mm-hmm. kind of relationship, working relationship, friendship, without trust. And the fact that Deb, like, Karen asked her directly, and Deb flat out lied, so I get how that would be hurtful. I don't know why Deb had to keep coming back to Karen over and over again, and Karen was, like, not giving her the time of day until the end. Yeah. Again, just to create drama. (laughs) And you wonder if, is it true that the key thing didn't bother her? Maybe it's in a little bit, and she's just not willing to admit it to herself. Yeah, that's the one deleted scene that I thought was interesting. Because we get a a scene with Keith and Karen, and Keith confronts Karen about the whole thing and says, like, you don't really you don't really have a right to be upset about this. This is my life. This is my thing. And okay, that's that. That's that scene now. Okay, so Keith says people make mistakes. Most people do when you allow them to participate in their own lives. Karen, what's that supposed to mean? And then Keith says exactly what it sounds like. Okay, actually, after you said that, that kind of makes sense. Because, yeah, Keith is, like, basically saying that, you know, this is my life. Okay, I guess I get that. Yeah, like, you can't... <laughs> but I was really confused with the word into that conversation. <laughs> basically, he's saying, like, you can't dictate what I do in my life. It's my life. That's the decision that Deb and I made, and that's what happened. You know? Mm-hmm. And, like, I feel like, Karen, it's not too fair of Karen... Because, like, she rejected Keith. So to be upset about this, I get the lie. I get up being upset about the lie, but Keith should have yeah. the, the choice to do what he wants in his own life. Like, he should have the autonomy to do that. And, like, Karen shouldn't be a factor in it. Oh, for sure. And I get, like, again, being mad at Deb was because, you know, she asked Deb point blank and Deb decided to lie about it. I get that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But also because Karen was mad because she also wants to be with Deb as well. (laughs) Yep, there's always that underlying reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, just just making sure, you know, everybody knows that is what's actually happening here behind the scenes. 
You're right, Jeremy. You're really right. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Are you ready to talk about your favorite couple ever? No. <laughs> so no. we're going to go literally from your favorite couple ever to your least no. favorite. Can we just skip this entire conversation, like, entirely? Honestly, Can we just add the episode? <laughs> I don't even have much to say about this. <laughs> so I like that Brooke was setting a boundary here, and she was speaking up for herself and saying, hey, I don't want all these fancy gifts. I don't want you to have, take me out to these expensive dinners all the time, at least. And we find out later the reason why she doesn't want that is because she doesn't want to be like her mom and her dad. And I think that's yeah. a really valid reason because she doesn't have a good example of a relationship. It seems to be based on money. I think that's what we can infer here, right? That mm-hmm. money's a big aspect of the relationship or at least how it started. And Brooke doesn't want to fall into that pattern. And that's admirable, really. I'm glad she, she spoke up. Yeah, and, and all the little stories that Brooke inserts throughout the episode where she mentions like the issues that her parents are having, all the fights that, she, that they're having. At the at the end of the episode when she's with Felix, she tells him that she doesn't want to go home. Mm-hmm. Like it really does say a lot. I like those like little small like details that are inserted in there. Yeah, you're right. There are little details throughout that that give us a little bit more context because obviously we haven't met Brooke's parents, so we only get to hear from Brooke's perspective or what she says to other characters. It's so sad. I do feel bad for her. Yeah, I feel bad for her. And I I get, like, Felix wants to give his girlfriend nice things or whatever. And, like, he listened to her, but then he gives her the necklace back. Ugh, let me say that again. Like, he listens to her, but then he gives her the necklace. I can't say necklace. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Let's just keep that in because it's funny at this point. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I can't speak. The necklace. <laughs> the piece of jewelry around her neck. There we go. He gives it back to her and has like, I don't know what, what was his reason? Like it just makes him happy seeing her wear it. Yeah. Which is kind of corny. I mean, all in all, he's being, I guess you could argue that he is being nice, but he's also violated this boundary here. And also too, I gotta say, like when, uh, when Brooke tells uh, Lucas about uh, her dated Felix officially now, how they're not friends with benefits anymore, they're officially dated. Um, she seems a little bit reluctant to tell him, and she says, like, listen, I know you don't like him, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, is she trying to convince herself of that? Or is she trying to convince Lucas? Oh, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Maybe Put I'll... that down in your vampire diaries. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both, I would say. Huh. And also, too, because uh, you see in that scene, Lucas was about to tell her that he broke up with Anna, but then in a, but he never gets a chance to. In a deleted scene, you see Anna and Brooke in the bathroom together, and that's what Anna officially tells Brooke. And Brooke is, like, completely taken aback, and it just seems like there's something happened in there, based on that deleted scene. Yeah, it really focuses her- on her reflection in the mirror, and she's, like, looking at herself... Mm-hmm. So, like, she stands there after Anna leaves the bathroom, and she's, like, absorbing the news, and she just seems visibly, like, upset about it, or, like, kind of pondering what, oh, boy, I wasn't expecting that, you know? Like, that was kind of her reaction. Yeah, in, in my mind, at least, I'm thinking that she's thinking to herself, like, you know, if I wasn't with Felix right now, I could be with Lucas. Yep. So now she feels kind of a little bit trapped. Yeah, I think that's what you're supposed to believe when you see that scene. Interesting stuff. For real. 
But anyway, fuck Felix. Let's talk about the other Tagaro sibling. The much more interesting Tagaro sibling. <laughs> we get some really good scenes with Anna. Oh, they're so good. So we, we see her, like, she's really mad at Lucas. At least that's what she's trying to make herself believe. And then she goes to Peyton. She apologizes to her. Peyton apologizes back. Peyton tells Anna how great she is. And then Anna hugs her, misinterprets this as a as a flirtation, and then kisses Peyton. Yeah, I do you think she was right to misinterpret that? I so here's the deal. I know this is a lot of that that queer youth go through, especially when they're going when they're coming out of the closet. Now, to, to clarify, this was never my experience. I never had a crush on like a straight friend. I've been in lust with like straight guys, but I've never actually developed like a like a relationship with a straight guy and like developed like romantic feelings for him or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get like it can be confusing when you're navigating your sexuality that way. Yeah, and that's something a lot of young people will go through, especially if you don't know a lot of people who are like you. And we know that Anna had a girlfriend previously, but. You know, because it's high school, they're young. That's probably the only other queer person that Anna knew at the time. So I just feel like it's just, it's really hard. It's really hard to understand these signals. Yeah, and I think that goes even for, that goes for anyone. (laughs) And any sexuality, you know, when you're a teenager, at least. Trying to navigate those feelings and interpreting, like, is someone reciprocating here? Or or not, you know? But I think I feel like it's definitely more prevalent for for queer teens in this instance, though, because of that. Yeah. You, you know that situation of not like not knowing many people like you. Yeah. Yeah. And you know the fact that like oh this is a girl this is a this is a girl who was actually being like really really sweet to me. I get it. It can be confusing in this instance, and yeah, it can be it can happen to other sexualities too. But I feel like this is a this is a very unique queer experience in this instance. No, I, I definitely agree with you because there's a whole added dimension. Like, if you don't know a lot of people who are queer, then, like, how are you supposed to know the signs, you know? Yeah. I was just saying, like, from the perspective of a teenager, like, this is a confusing period time of your life to begin with, let alone to add this whole other aspect to to it. It makes it even more confusing. Yeah, but, like, uh, you know, I didn't have this experience when I was a teen, but I know, like, in my 20s and whatnot, like, honestly, like, whenever I met, like, another queer man, I would automatically think, like, we gotta date. <laughs> it's like, that's not necessarily the case. You don't have to date. You can just be friends with other queer people as well. In this instance, yeah, Peyton's not queer, of course, but, you know, I feel like you sort of, like, put yourself in this box. Yeah. You know? And... Now that I'm older and I'm meeting queer people left and right, I don't necessarily, like, fall into that trap anymore. So, I get it. Like, Anna doesn't really have a community to turn to at this point. And not many people even know about her sexuality. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's such a secret. And she clearly feels shame for it. Like, she's she's working through that. Like, the fact that they just had to leave their whole other school. And the way she's reacted, you know, at the formal and all those things. Like, there's a lot that she, emotionally, that she's going through. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, like, after the kiss, though, when when Peyton, like, you know, comes into Anna's room, I love that Peyton doesn't make it about the kiss. She doesn't make it about the fact that Anna just did something that was very embarrassing for her for herself. Uh, she makes it about Anna's inner journey. And she tells Anna, like, you should be proud to be who you are. 
I know. I like how she reacted. And she said, like, she started off saying, it's totally cool, you know? Like, I'm not upset. Mm-hmm. I'm not freaked out by it at all. Yeah. She doesn't say anything like, you know, like, uh, I'm not into you. Like, yeah, like, after Anna kissed, like, she she didn't, she didn't freak out, I would say. I feel like she reacted naturally. She just said, like, that's not really my thing, but it's cool, it's cool. Uh, and then Anna had to leave before Peyton really got to express herself. I, I wouldn't consider Peyton's reaction homophobic or anything by any means. But yeah, I just, I, I really liked how she just, she wasn't focusing on the kiss. She wasn't focusing on the fact that, like, oh my god, a girl has a crush on me, or oh my god, my friend has a crush on me. She's focused on the fact, like, oh my god, like, girl, you're too scared to be yourself, and that is scary. I am so sorry. And it, it's kind of crushing when Anna says that she doesn't think she can be friends with Peyton anymore. Like, I just kind yeah. of felt that. I just felt bad for both of them. It's like the fact that Anna feels like she can't be friends with Peyton, even though Peyton clearly wants to be. And I feel bad for Peyton because it's like, oh, wow, I'm losing a friend now. Like, we can't even be friends after all this. And it's kind of tragic. It made me sad. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But I I get that, like, Anna's really embarrassed and she has so much to work through. So I I get that, you know? Yeah, yeah. She really has to work on herself and her own inner journey. And also, I realize I haven't talked about this in the space of an actual episode. I've only talked about this in spoiler segments, so I guess this is a good organic way to bring this up. Um, So, everybody, Anna inspired me to come out way back in the day, about 15 years ago now at this point. She inspired me to come out as queer. And nowadays, she is inspiring me all over again, because lately I've been feeling a lot of gender feelings, so I have recently been coming out as non-binary, even though I'm not entirely sure about that label. And, you know, you can call me they pronouns, you can call me my he pronouns, I may want to go by they exclusively eventually. It's a journey that I'm on. So, I'm just very excited to go on this journey alongside Anna, all over again, at age 30. Even though I've already experienced this at age 15. So it's kind of like a full circle moment right now. That's what I was going to say. Because we haven't actually, I mean, we've talked about this, obviously, but only in the spoiler segment. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking about that. Like, when she finally came out, I was like, I have not officially talked about this. <laughs> like, you know, the people who, like, turn off for the spoiler segments wouldn't be there for the journey. So I just wanted to share that at this moment. Anyway, what were you saying? Yeah, I, I just totally agree with you. It is like a full circle moment, like 15 and 30. Like, wow, that's like kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's also part of the reason why I really haven't watched beyond this point, because I thought it would be a little bit too triggering to like watch some of the episodes. Like I was a little bit scared to watch these future episodes, but I have a lot of Peyton's and Lucas's in my life now. Um, It just gives me a little bit more strength. I didn't have a lot of Peyton's and Lucas's in my life back when I was 15. I Yeah. I'm sure it's it's challenging process no matter what, but like having that support system definitely has to make it easier. Absolutely. Let's talk about the Lucas scenes. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Speaking of the Paytons and Lucases, let's talk about Lucas. So I just gotta say I was crying while watching Aww. that scene because it was just pretty pretty me like right back to that moment in my life. You know how Lucas was like the first person that she officially told that she likes girls. And that's that had to, that is so scary. I got that. And it's so great that she found that strength. And, you know, she starts off by apologizing for how she reacted and then explains, you know, about the rumors being true, which then leads her into coming out. And I, I thought it was a really powerful scene. 
And I feel like Lucas didn't know exactly how to respond at first. It was a little awkward. Yeah. But I just feel like that's very realistic. It it is realistic because especially during that time, we're thinking, you know, 2000, what is this? 2005 at this point? This is 2005 at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have to think of that error. And it is, I guess it is kind of like an awkward moment because like someone's bearing their soul to you and then you want to, you want to say the right thing. And then ultimately he ends up hugging her and it was just like a sweet way to end the whole scene. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the coda at the end where he says like, you know, feel a little bit left out, want to be left out together and then takes her arm and that's just, it's so good. You know, and they're not lonely alone anymore. Yeah. Running back to the Tennessee Williams quote. So do you feel like the way they handled it with Peyton and and Lucas was before its time? Hmm. Do you think it could have been any better than it was? I feel like this is a very idealized way. This is how people should be reacting to a coming out story you know i mean we can argue saying like you know like lucas could have been better like lucas could have said like yo you should be proud to be who you are like lucas could have said something like that too but i feel like there was a lot of authenticity in how lucas responded he wasn't freaked out or anything he wasn't like overly supportive but he was just like okay i think he said that's a new one yeah that is a new one yeah (laughs) i'm trying to remember what it was what was it like when i came out to you I remember we were sitting on the bus. Do you remember that? Yeah. I remember you saying, like, I need a minute to process this. Did I really say that? Because I honestly have no recollection of what I said. I think you said something like that, but, like, I don't remember, like, what happened after that moment. Obviously, it didn't trigger any trauma or anything like that. <laughs> oh, my so, God. I hope it did You didn't. No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And, you know, you, you, you grow it on to be like, oh, my God, it's, like, so supportive. But, I mean, come on. Like, I'm giving you a piece of news. Like, hey, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, it, I remember it was just me on the bus, because we had other people we would sit with. But, like, we were, like, two, like two of the first people to, like, get on the yep. bus, I remember. And yeah. I, I know, I have an image of you sitting there. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I remember how we were sitting. But I, you know, as I was watching this episode, I was thinking about that moment. And I'm like, I really have no recollection of what I said to you. Yeah. I only remember you saying that, but, like, I don't remember, like, what came of that or anything like that. I, I, y- you were never, like not supportive or anything like that it was never like that no, I, just, I, I was always supportive yeah of course and you continue to be supportive uh, i wish I, we I wish had, we that had better conversation recorded or something <laughs> 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 i just wish we could like replay it you know what i mean like go back in your memory yeah and exactly <laughs> Oh my god, that is so far away that I could have just like completely like erased the like even me saying like oh like I need some by the process I could have completely created that scenario in my mind for all I know. But yeah, you were always great <laughs> about it. Yeah, nothing was nothing was weird afterwards. It was yeah, it was totally fine. Damn it! I wish we could like have like this big moment where it's like oh my god, look at Caitlin and Jeremy. <laughs> like fifteen years later, they're working on a podcast <laughs> together, and then look, it started from here. But like oh god, we can't remember. <laughs> I I feel like honored though that. I was one of the first people. Yeah, you are. Because mm-hmm. I think you told your mom and your best friend at the time, and I think that was it. Is that like the third person you told? There may have been a few other people before then. You, I definitely told you before I started telling everybody at school, though. Yeah, yeah. Because, because there, there did come a moment where like I decided to be honest and just tell, like, you know what? Everybody can know now. I wasn't like hiding anything anymore, you know? I was just being out and proud. So yeah, before I decided to be out-out, 
I definitely told you first. Yeah. For some reason, I have in my head that I was a third person. I don't know why that's in my head, but... Maybe you were, for all I know. I don't know. I mean, we were friends since kindergarten, so, I mean, come yeah. on. You had to have been, like, a formative person. Aw, <laughs> dear me. Just, just like you were one of the first people I told that I was not binary. That's true. <laughs> so- that was over a text message. Right, like hours before we recorded the episode where I was like, "Uh, by the way, Caitlin. (laughs) That's a new one. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a new one. Gosh. Oh, my God. That's great. Oh, God, that was great. Um, But yeah, okay, so yeah, with Lucas, I feel like that was very authentic and realistic. For Peyton, I feel like this is how you... This is what you should do when your friend comes out to you, or if your friend does something embarrassing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's a real idealized fantasy in that regard. And honestly, but the fact that, like, Anna has these two, like, allies by her side, I feel like that gives a message of hope for young queer youth. I Yeah, I think it is really hopeful. And I'm glad that they modeled that behavior, you know, those responses back then. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many other shows at the time, I can't speak to it. I don't know if you can. We're handling stories like this. I know Dawson's Creek prior to One Tree Hill had that. Yeah. How was that handled there? Without giving too much away, because I want to watch Dawson's Creek eventually at some point. You know, I haven't seen that show in like several years. So I can't really speak to like how well they handled it. But I remember the characters, like the main characters being supportive of Jack. But yeah, I don't want to... I don't want to say something wrong <laughs> because like I haven't <laughs> right, seen right. it. So like, I don't want to, you know, put it, say that they right. did a really great job. If maybe they didn't, I, I don't know. Right. I need to read course, watch that yeah. with fresh eyes. Yeah. I would like to watch it as a first time viewer. <laughs> so. Yeah. You should watch it. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Oh, totally. I would totally, I would totally go with that. But anyway, other shows to talk with us. I mean, Buffy kind of deals with this a little bit. Um, I feel like Buffy has like a really this really idealized fantasy sort of deal with it though that I won't spoil because heads heads Caitlin you gotta watch Buffy eventually. I know I'm slacking. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it. Okay, okay. I keep saying that. You also I said, know. You also said that like maybe a year ago. Like everybody, keep track of the episodes where where Caitlin says she's gonna watch Buffy. Okay, I've been <laughs> in the mood to like rewatch stuff because it's comforting and we're still in a pandemic and the world's on fire. <laughs> like, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, like, so Buffy had, like, a very similar, like, coming out uh, storyline with a character, and the character responds and being like, well, um, you know, you, you you gotta follow your heart, name redacted. And then the person's like, why do you keep saying my name like that? And then the character is like, like what name redacted? Oh, wow. And then, like, and then the friend's like, you're freaking out. And then the character is like, no, no, name redacted. No. I'm not freaked out at all. I'm glad you told me. So, like, the characters acknowledge yeah. the fact that they freaked out a little bit, and then they realize, like, you know what? No. You're my best friends. Nothing's gonna change. That, huh. That, that's good. So, I, I do like how that was dealt with there as well. But yeah. Was it before its time? I don't really know if it was before its time. Maybe. With One Tree Hill, I mean. Not Buffy. So that was a really long one to why to answer your question. Yeah, and these storylines, like in this era, these storylines were starting to be come out more. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they were becoming more of a thing at this point on, or, like, a little bit past maybe 2005. Yeah. Nowadays, like, you know, not even teen shows, but just, like, shows in general, like, I... There's not a single show that I watch right now that doesn't have a queer character. Oh, I'd have to think about that. But it's definitely way more prevalent now. Yeah, for sure. It's great. Like, you see it, like, you know, I'm pretty sure, like, every CW show has a, has a, has at least one queer mm-hmm. character in each of them. Um, you know, so, sometimes you'll have, like, three or four queer characters in one, ca- one storyline. It's like, what? And they don't even interact with each other. They're like, wait a minute, these are separate queer characters and they exist in separate scenes. What is this? Oh, that's great. <laughs> you know? You know? Yeah, representation is important. It's absolutely important. And I'm glad that it's different than it was. Yeah, because I feel like back then, it was at a point where, like, I feel like I had to watch so much queer content because, like, oh, my God, there's this show has a, this show has a queer character. Gotta watch it! And now I feel like there's so many queer characters. Like, you know what? I can pick and choose what I want to watch now. And now <laughs> the stories don't just revolve around coming out like they did before in, like, One Tree uh-huh. Hill's era. They actually just involve, like, representing the character in their day-to-day lives and their relationships. And, you know, they're just people. They're not... It's not focused on, like, that moment, like, when they're coming out to the world. Yeah. Which is... That's uh-huh. great. I mean, those stories are still important, but... Of course. That shouldn't be the only story. <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like it's also, like, really great to see, like, just queer characters existing and just living, like, a life. Because that's very empowering to say. You're like, you can see that be like, wait a minute, that could be, that could be me too. You know, I could live that life. Um, whereas, like, you know, all these, like, great coming out stories and whatnot, like, they're still there. Like, you can still rewatch One Tree Hill and you can see this coming out story. And you can watch a bunch of other shows like this too. And I know we haven't talked about this really this season yet but one tree hill is attempting to be more diverse this season yeah i am i'm gonna eat my words i I don't have a source for this i am sorry um but i remember reading somewhere anna is the first latina bisexual woman on a tv series oh wow and i know like those two identities like intersect there And it's interesting Mm -hmm. how this season, and I mean, this is a spoiler, but like, we don't get this in other seasons. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's really not. And arguably, too, though, I feel like the show doesn't really delve into her Latina identity. And that's what I was, I I was going to say the same thing. Mm -hmm. We don't get any insight on their culture at all for Felix and Anna. Yeah. It's just sort of like an invisible thing, which the fact that there is the intersection of being bisexual and being Latina, like, I feel like there should be something that should be unpacked there. I know. It's like they completely ignore the Latina, you know, heritage. They, they don't acknowledge mm-hmm. it. They don't share anything about their family, really. And yeah. unlike Love, Victor, Love, Victor is a great oh representation gosh, of that. Yes. Like the intersection between uh, that's a, that's a good current show that deals with like the coming out stories and queer people existing at the same time. Actually, okay, yeah, that that is anyway, that's a perfect on. example. Why didn't we think of that yeah. before? That, that yeah, is, I was like, we love that show. Sophia Bush is all that show. Damn, why didn't we even think about I that? I know, <laughs> and that's true. Like it deals with the coming out, but it also goes beyond that. And there's other characters, like mm-hmm. you said. So like, wow, yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. Um, but what what was I saying? I don't know what I was saying, Jeremy. <laughs> uh, 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 about Anna, like, the show doesn't really deal with her Latina no, heritage. Yeah. We don't get uh, anything from that, but we get, like, you know, her 
her identity, her sexual identity, so or orientation. Yeah, and there are problems with how bisexuality is portrayed on the show as well, and we'll get into that as we yeah. move on. Um, so th- this this is not a perfect representation by any means. The point I was trying to make is that like it delves into that aspect of her identity more than yeah her heritage. Mm-hmm. But I guess you can give One Tree Hill a little bit of credit for trying, but it does miss the mark. Uh-huh. But, you know, if, back then, though, like, you know, us queer people, like, I feel like this is, like, the best we could get, <laughs> you know, which is sad. Um, and, you know, me saying this, like, it was, it was important for me to say this at that current point in my life. Oh, I bet. Just, like, any representation. Like, at the time, yeah, you. I'm sure you clung to any representation that you got. Now there's such a variety. Yeah. Like, think about the kids who are coming out now. You know, at least they have, they have a lot of literature. I mean, there's still, like, not enough, but there is mm-hmm. so much more than there was. I hope that continues to grow. Yeah. More sources to turn to, more media to media, turn to. Books, it's all of it. Yeah. I don't want to, like, you know, make a flippant statement to say that it's easier for youth than I, but it's easier for youth to feel seen, I feel like. You know, coming out is always going to be a struggle, like, regardless, until we move to a more evolved place in society. Yeah. Which that we can go on a tangent about that. We Ugh. definitely could. <laughs> but yes, go Anna. I am excited to go on this journey with you all over again. Oh yeah, I can't wait to talk about the upcoming episodes. <laughs> oh gosh. I'm probably gonna cry. Oh Jeremy. <laughs> I was feeling like some tears coming on when I was talking about her scene with Lucas, actually. <laughs> and I'm like, hold it back, hold it back. Oh, that's uh, what you get at Always and Forever, some raw emotion. The Hell yeah. All right, we have a coda here. Y- yes, we have a coda that happens. The song is Returned to Me by Matthew Ryan. Which we have gotten the same song in a coda in season one, episode four. Did yep, we? Same exact song. Oh, wow. <gasps> Crash into you. I'm having a uh, I'm having a fever dream about this. Yes, <laughs> you're right. So we this is just another example of a song being repeated. <laughs> yes, but what happens in this coda? All right, so we see Peyton fall asleep on Jake's shoulder as they drive off on their road trip, which it was really cute. I'm, I'm gonna it admit was. that Jake is so hot in this episode. <laughs> I didn't even get into like some of like these things, but like he is just so gorgeous, like such a sight for sore eyes. Like honestly, every time he spoke, I kept fucking swooning. <laughs> I love it. Like he is so oh, god. Like he is just so perfect. Like honestly, like is, is this the only man on the show that like holds up? Because damn, like can he do any wrong? Does he do any uh, any wrong at all? throughout the entirety of the series i don't think so but i guess we'll f- we'll find out as we go. you know i don't i don't think so <laughs> i i just love him so much but anyway next up uh felix gives a necklace back to brooke he says seeing you where it makes me happy what <laughs> <laughs> all right um karen brings food to andy and they both agree to own up to their mistakes that was a cute. That was the Aww. cutest scene with Karen and Andy in the whole episode. <laughs> yeah. What was the deal with the whole crow? Are you in the mood for crow? Yeah, I think that's a reference to something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the reference is, but it clearly has to be a reference to something. Oh, let me Google it. Let me Google it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, it's an idiom. 
So, according to Wikipedia, it says it means humiliation by admitting having been proven wrong after taking a strong position. That basically sums up what happened. That's funny. I'm glad you brought that up. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I I just wasn't patient enough to Google it, obviously, because... I googled, like, the symbolism for crow, and I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means, but whatever. Um, anyway, next up, uh, Lucas tries talking to Keith, but then sees that Jules is there, and then lies, asking if he left his MP3 player behind. And you see Jules's face, and she's like, no, Lucas, don't say anything. That was a super awkward scene. <laughs> <laughs> And at school, Lucas takes Anna's arm and asks her if she wants to feel left out together. Aww. And then, finally, we see Nathan sees Taylor giving him a seemingly flirty look from the bathroom. Again, that's all on your mind, Nathan, okay? But rather than focusing on Taylor, he offers to help Haley with dinner. So, I guess you could say Nathan does have, like, a full circle moment where he ends up deciding to work on his marriage. Yeah, that, that moment at the end was sweet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things could look up for them now. I don't know. We'll have to find out. Yeah, it had a hopeful ending. Anyway, top favorite moments. I already said my favorite quote, so what is yours? <laughs> so did I. I had trouble picking a quote, although I liked yours a lot. But the ta- Taylor to Nathan, just because it was so funny, and it was such an <laughs> awkward moment for him. I had a feeling that was your favorite quote when you read it earlier. Because <laughs> I just laughed out loud at that scene. I'm like, it has to be my favorite quote. <laughs> I was just... And then he explodes his beer because he does. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, what was your favorite musical moments? So I liked the coda, Return to Me by Matthew Ryan. And I also liked that in the episode in season one, too. Oh, yeah. Interesting. That may have been mine, too, now that you bring that up, actually. I don't know. There weren't a ton of songs in this episode, and I didn't feel like many of them stood out to me. But I liked I like Dakota enough, um, so that's why I chose it. I don't really have a deep reason. Yeah, nothing really stood out to me either, honestly. But the the opening montage at the beginning of the episode, the song is Gather the Horses by Charlie Mars. I thought that was a good song, juxtaposed with all the scenes. The lyric is, you've got to ride on, let the people say what they want about you. And I feel like that's like a really hopeful message because everybody is at a very negative place at this moment and everybody just has to ride on. So I felt like the song was very appropriate for that montage and what everybody is going through. Yeah, that would be my second pick. It was good. And I like how, just to speak about that opening scene, I like how everything picked up right where it left off in in 210. All right. What would you rate it overall, Jeremy? I think this episode's fine. (laughs) So that's why I give it three out of five coming out journeys. Aw. You know, I I, I feel like so much happened in this episode, but also at the same time, so little happened too. I would disagree with that. I think a lot happened. Oh, yeah? Okay, tell me, tell me, talk about it. I give it four out of five apologies because there were a lot of different apologies going on in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um... I kind of rate it based on, like, I was entertained and interested the whole time. And I thought the storylines, I don't know, they moved everything forward. Other than the Karen and Andy thing, I thought everything else was really interesting. <laughs> yes. And and the fact that it picked up right where it left off. So you you didn't miss a beat, you know? Like, all everything you were wondering about in 210, 
and you had that long hiatus, everything you were wondering about, like, was kind of answered right away almost. Like, within the mm-hmm. course of the episode. So I thought it was a strong episode, honestly. Okay. Cool. Cool. We can agree to disagree. I just thought it was fine. <laughs> yes, we can agree to disagree. We do that every year and always and forever. <laughs> I mean, if I was based, if I was writing it based on, like, the Anna scenes alone, five out of five, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you talk about all the Jake scenes, also five out of five. But you know what? These are not separate episodes. This is a whole piece of art. Okay, okay. And also, treat Taylor better. <laughs> Aww. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at alwaysothpod. You can also email us at alwaysothpod at gmail.com. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez, and you can find me on Twitter at RodriguezJeremy. And I'm Caitlin Illinich, and you can find me on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans new and old find us. You can also support us via Patreon, where for as low as $2 a month, you can gain access to bonus content, our private Discord server where you can chat with us and other listeners, and early episode releases. Visit patreon.com slash alwaysothpod for more information. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. This is your last reminder to turn off the podcast if you do not want spoilers. So, uh, Haley has, uh, several sisters, right? Yeah, maybe she has brothers, too. Like, she's the one of eight or, or seven? Seven or eight, right? One of se- Wait, what did they say that? They say that? I'm, I'm not making this up in my head. I uh, Not in this episode, they didn't say it, but I- She's yeah. from a big family. I think there's, like, seven or eight of her, of them. They mentioned a big family, and, I, you know, I, I mentioned this before in a, in a previous episode, uh, like, Nathan's, like, looking at a picture of Haley with a bunch of siblings, and he's like- are all these your brothers and sisters? And I'm like, what does he only have brothers? She <laughs> we never hear about brothers. I know, we never hear about brothers. What I find interesting, though, in this scene, when Nathan says, are you Vivian? Are you Quinn? Like, well, <laughs> we never meet Vivian, but that's interesting. Who the fuck is Vivian? I know, I'd love to know. <laughs> but it's so interesting that they had Quinn's name chosen, or, or they oh, just yeah. went back to that. Like, in season seven, they went back back to this episode and and took one of those characters yeah that's a possibility they also mentioned quinn in uh season six finale as well oh yeah yeah at the wedding yeah i didn't notice that until like after i already watched season seven and i was re-watching season six I'm like oh look quinn is mentioned here but obviously i didn't know about this quinn reference until this current rewatch because i haven't seen it since you know long before so i knew this episode they mentioned two of the the sisters names and i knew one of them was quinn i always forget vivian because obviously vivian you yeah. never even meet her so did you do some research into vivian I, no <laughs> <laughs> why would i do research into vivian because there is a whole one tree hill wiki about her are you serious <laughs> yes there is oh my gosh <laughs> What are people saying? Let me share some pieces of trivia. So, it is possible Vivian has children due to Haley mentioning her having nieces and nephews. 
And neither Taylor nor Quinn have children, although both her and her brothers may have children. It is possible Vivian has a daughter because during Lydia's funeral, a woman resembling a young Vivian is seen with a man, possibly her husband's, and a young girl. So I have this memory of this. There was apparently like an old family video or something of the James family, and you see like a fourth little girl. So there's Haley Quinn, there's somebody who could be Haley Quinn, Taylor, and then there's another girl. I could be making this up in my head. Yeah, I have no idea, but I remember that they, when the, when their mother was dying in the hospital, that that's that was the the video footage? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. And it's so funny to me that, like, their mother's dying in the hospital, and it's just the three sisters, but she has more siblings than that, who we never uh-huh. meet. Yeah, she's mentioned a few times, she's... Is she mentioned in season seven? I don't think Vivian's mentioned again, is she? I, I don't think she's mentioned directly, but she is like, va- but other siblings are vaguely alluded to. So let me read this description from season eight. After Vivian's second youngest sister, Quinn, was shot, all the family came down to see her the week after to look after her and to see if she was all right. Most of them stayed for the first week before returning to their regular lives in the care of her baby sister, Haley. Quinn mentions to her partner, Clay, that it was a good thing that she that he was unconscious during the visit from her family. So I guess, like, there's an implication that, like, other family members visited uh, Quinn in the hospital during that time. Oh, well, I don't know if I ever caught that. I mean, I guess I did. I never... I don't remember it. I never caught that either. <laughs> but yeah, so... Vivian's obviously very absent from the family if she does exist. <laughs> That's too funny. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, I really wonder, because, like, I feel like we finally got to meet Brooke's mom and dad in season nine, right? It wasn't yeah. all the way. Well, we met, Vic- we met Victoria in well, season five. We met I mean, her yeah, dad, her whatever dad. her name is, in season nine. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, we've met everyone else in the show, and I feel like the only people we haven't met is all of Haley's siblings. I mean, I guess we don't need to meet every single one, but it would have been interesting. Right, for sure. I mean, I feel like at this point, like, didn't think they were going to bring, like, Haley's family into the story and, like, really, like, you know, make them a huge integral part of the show. They obviously did not. It kind of would have been nice if Haley had a sister that she was close with in the earlier seasons. Like, she's super close with, Mm -hmm. she's never close with Taylor, Mm -hmm. but she was always close with Quinn, you know, but we only get that in the later seasons. It would have been nice to see her have that you know, now, where we're at now, or season three or four. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about the uh, Quinn and Taylor's uh, journeys in the later seasons, though. So Taylor, like, you know, I don't think she's a villain right now, but in season seven, she is pretty bad. <laughs> I will say that. Yeah, didn't she, didn't she date Quinn's ex-husband? Uh-huh. And then brings him over to dinner, like, seriously, you are starting a pot, girl. Please do not do that. You are so messy. Yep. <laughs> That's where I feel like, okay, we can interpret her as a villain. And remember this, yeah, in a few episodes, doesn't uh, Nathan go to visit Taylor and they kiss? Yeah, that's that's closer to the end. No, they don't kiss. They do not kiss. Um, They're about to. Yeah, right after Haley leaves town, the two of them have like a little bit of flirtation at a bar. They go into a room, and then Nathan says that he can't do it. And then she's like, yeah, I wasn't going to let it happen either. And I don't remember the exact details of that, but they, it never actually goes that far. They're just very, you know, he was very tempted. Well, I knew they didn't have sex and, again, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought they started to kiss, but I guess... Okay. No. They do not kiss. I do have a very vivid memory of them not kissing. Okay. I will say that. Yeah, so Taylor's journey 
I know when the the mother's about to die, there's like a sweet moment. That, well, they have a moment where I think the three sisters, they were arguing, right? I can't really remember about what. It was just like they were sick of Taylor's drama. And that tension kind of built up. Before uh, Lydia Maybe died? Maybe or... with Lydia. Oh, I have vague memories of season seven. Oh, my God. Really vague. <laughs> I only watched... I, I, I watched it twice, season seven. I don't have anything memorized beyond that, honestly. <laughs> but I do remember that there is, like, a little bit of a fight because after uh, after the, the sisters find out that Lydia was dying... Um, Taylor is is in complete denial. Like, doesn't want to believe that she's dying or anything like that. Doesn't even want to go to the hospital. I remember one scene where Quinn like shows up to Taylor's place, like gives uh, Taylor a photo of, like gives Taylor a family photo, and then it's, it's Taylor just like screams at Quinn. She's like, "I don't want this, Quinn!" And she's crying, and she says, "I don't want this." Like, it's such good acting from Taylor in that scene from Lindsay McKean. I should say it's such good acting. So yeah, I'd like to think that they really fleshed her out toward the ends. Yeah, because she doesn't have too much of a journey, but I remember wait, that scene you're talking about. And I knew there was some yeah. there was some like Yeah, where she was yelling. I just remember her yelling. I couldn't really remember what she was yelling about, and I knew it was like a pivotal yeah. moment for the sisters. I do remember there being fights happening and whatnot, because yeah, because I remember, like, on a, essentially on Lydia's deathbed, like, all of them are handing out, and, you know, Taylor turns to, to Quinn and Haley and says, I'm so sorry, I've been such a bad sister, and uh, Lydia, oh, God, this is a bad spoiler segment, because we're literally just relying on, like, our memories right now, because we haven't watched it in forever, but yeah, like, I think Lydia made a wish or something, and the implication is that her wish came true, because... You know, oh, her daughters are friends again. Yeah, you're right. I know they all made amends in the end, and they were on better terms. Uh-huh. And that was sweet. So that was really Taylor's journey overall. Yeah. We get, obviously, way more content with Quinn because she becomes a main character. Oh, and I love, I love Quinn. Quinn, too. So- <laughs> and I, I love seeing Quinn and Haley as sisters. Like, I feel like they had really mm-hmm. good chemistry. I agree, too, yeah. And... Chantal Van Santa, and she's she's so pretty too. She's beautiful, yeah. Like seriously, like I am like I am very attracted to her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's definitely attractive. That's for sure. Every time I see her on on the screen, I'm like, oh damn, she's just so pretty. <laughs> but overall, though, at the end of the day, Taylor, though, I feel like she's a. Uh, She's unfairly treated as a villain in this episode. I feel like I was, like, really, like, straddled the line in the episode discussion because I couldn't spoil anything. But, like, at this current point in the show, she's definitely not a villain, I don't think. I feel like she does, like, you know, tiptoe on that line in season seven when she's with Quinn's ex-husbands. Yeah, for sure. And that's, like, purposeful, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she's, like, very manipulative there. I'm like, all right, you're you're pretty evil, girl. Stop that. And also something I had to look back to check... We did not list Taylor as one of our villainous vixens. And I feel like that's very telling about how we view Taylor. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't think I really see her as a villain. She stirs the pot, but, like, she's not in it enough. How many episodes is Taylor really in? Four, maybe? Five? I think she's in a total of eight. I I, I looked at her on IMDb a little bit ago. I can verify that while you're talking. Yeah, I, I can't really remember. Like, I feel like she's in more episodes in season seven than she is now. 
But I could be completely wrong. She's in four in season two and four in season seven. So yeah, it's actually equal. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. In season seven, she has more of a presence as a villain, quote unquote, because of like what she does. But again, I don't like her being positioned as a bad guy. Like, look at her. She has a scorpion tattoo. She is evil. Yeah, I didn't even consider... Wow, that's funny that we didn't include her. But yeah, I don't know if I'd really consider her as a villain. I guess you could say that we're just like very evolved and not thinking of her as a villain. Because I feel like back then, like watching these episodes, I kept thinking like, oh God, Taylor is the worst. She is awful. But I was younger and I didn't know shit about life or about people or anything like that. So... Yeah, that's understandable. Um, You know, hmm. but if we were to put her in our uh, villainous vixens category, it would have been between... Order and randomness. Because oh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it totally does. I'm going to lead into that. Between Order and Randomness is the title of our next episode, which is season two, episode 12. And taken from our OTH DVD box sets. Crustaceans of the world unite. Brooke gets a restaurant job wearing a crab costume then organizes a work protest. Keith proposes to Jules, unaware that Dan hired her to seduce and desert him. We'll be seeing ya. ya.